Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. I think that the beat is a place where people that are looking for solutions, that are looking for people that are like-minded and want to make Baltimore better, I think that people are looking to that, looking to us at the place where they can kind of like, it's like a touch point for them. Most of the talk the last few months about journalism in Baltimore has been focused on the banner, a digital startup poised to take on the Baltimore Sun. But another news outlet has reemerged to tell the story of the city's majority black audience. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. The Baltimore City Papers started publication in 1977 and served for 40 years as Charm City's alternative weekly newspaper. When the city paper folded in 2017, the Baltimore Beat stepped in to fill the void. But the Beat also stopped publishing a short time later. I'm pleased to report that on Wednesday, the Beat returned to news boxes around Baltimore. Joining me today is Lisa Snowden, the Beat's editor-in-chief. Lisa, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay. I say welcome back, and it's because uh, you uh, were gracious enough to participate in a panel in 2017 that we did at the Washington, actually the National Press Organization, whatever, that I'm no longer a member of, National Press Club. That was really a good time. And at that time, you were editor of the Baltimore Beat, mm-hmm. and... Then for a while, I guess the Baltimore Beat went away, and now it's coming back. You know, what happened to the Beat, and what have you been up to since uh, we last spoke? Sure. So when I was on your panel, we had very recently launched. We had a publisher, and so that publisher, you know, was a regular for-profit model. We had news online, but we also had a print product that came out every week. After about five months, that publisher very abruptly pulled out and said it just wasn't financially viable. They couldn't do it. You know, we didn't really get much more information than that. So Brandon Soderberg and I, who had started working together at Baltimore City Paper and kind of brought a lot of those ethos to Baltimore Beat, we felt strongly that this needed to continue. We knew that like the work that we were doing, kind of the the niche that we were working in, which is kind of really focusing on Baltimore's 60% Black population in a way that other more mainstream news outlets weren't, that was still very much needed. So we had some folks that came to us and were talking to us about how all over the country, journalists that were kind of finding themselves out of jobs like we were, were turning towards nonprofit journalism. So we looked into that and said, hey, that sounds sounds like something we should try. And so we relaunched as a digital-only nonprofit newsroom. We did that for a while. Life happens. We kind of had to put it on a hiatus. The pandemic happened. And over the course of the pandemic is when we were approached by the Halif Center Foundation. They are a white family from Baltimore. They had money and they were giving it out, you know, like most funders do, kind of piecemeal in different grants. But because of the racial disparities like highlighted by the pandemic, also the death of George Floyd, they said, we feel like we need to do more. We want to give our money totally. We want to divest it to a Black organization, and we want to give it to the Baltimore Beat. Well, that sounds great. Now, is the idea to print again, or yes. is it just going to be, oh, that'll be great. You know, what's the planned launch date on that? Do you have one? August 10th. August 10th. Oh, cool. Just around the corner. 
That's great. And that's exciting. You know, I know that, you know, you mentioned the city paper. I think right before we spoke, the city paper had folded or was going to fold. That was an alternative weekly. And the thought was the Baltimore Beat was going to sort of step into that gap and, you know, cover a lot of the things that the city paper was doing really well, covering the majority black population, you know, telling different stories than the mainstream press was was telling, especially in things around, for example, the the Baltimore uprisings. You know, the coverage of the city paper on that was pretty amazing. You know, when people start talking about journalism in Baltimore, you know, most of the conversations this last six months has been about the Baltimore banner. But what are your thoughts about that? My thoughts about the banner are, number one, this is the most Black journalist that I've seen working in Baltimore City. And so that's nothing but a good thing. One of the reasons why I did the work, do the work that I do and kind of felt like we needed to start the beat was we needed a place for Black journalists. I think that that's still the case. I think that the banner is still, the lane that they're trying to fill is mainstream. They're, you know, they're not the sun. And I don't, I also don't think that they're the sun, but they're kind of fill that mainstream need for kind of general news. For me, I think it's still very important to have a Black-led paper that's focusing really on the needs of Black people. That's kind of where we are. Okay. So aside from many of the traditional stories about the Black population, you know, in 2022, what are the types of stories you, you want to tell now? There's so many things. What we are talking about in our first few issues, we're talking about divestment, the way that Black people are driven out of their property sometimes. I think that there's so much to talk about with this pandemic and the way that it has really affected Black populations in a very specific and very detrimental way. On like Physically, Black people got sicker. Black people took a harder financial hit. Our schools were kind of forced to remain open in the pandemic. And those were kids that are poor kids that were already suffering from illnesses that come from poverty. A lot of that's like breathing issues, issues from lead. So looking at tracing how the pandemic is going to continue to affect those kids, just like everything, the way that in Baltimore is a very segmented city. So there's poverty and then there's vast wealth. And we know that the pandemic exacerbated that everywhere. So really looking at how the people that were already poor, how they're going to fare in this kind of post-pandemic world. You know, the beat's been gone for a while. I mean, have you heard from the public, you know, as sort of news comes out that you're going to be returning to publication? Are you hearing anything from your, your audience or your potential audience? It's kind of overwhelming because, you know, we've been working about working on this in secret for a couple of years and having everybody, you know, we announced back in May The way that people have embraced us has been encouraging and a little bit scary. (laughs) Like people, the thing that I hear from people is like, yes, we need this specific thing. Like we need you guys. Even like I put out a call because we have always had a community events calendar. Even that, like I just got an overwhelming response from just saying, give me your community events and I'll put it on the calendar because I think that the pandemic separated us physically and then in a lot of other ways. And we haven't been together. We haven't been talking about the things that we need to talk about because we were just trying to survive. And I think that the beat is a place where people that are looking for solutions, that are looking for people that are like-minded and want to make Baltimore better. I think that people are looking to us as a place where they can kind of like 
it's like a touch point for them. So I've been talking to a lot of people over the last couple of years. I mean, certainly since since 2020, you know, there's been a larger conversation about race in America, but but also in journalism, a lot of newsrooms are kind of looking at their makeup. They're kind of looking at who their audience is and realizing that they don't really represent where they're published in the city that they're trying to tackle. And, you know, many of them recognize that. Mm-hmm. Some actually try to do things about that to try to change things. You know, what's your thought about about that, about, you know, journalism sort of coming with a, a reckoning of the way, you know, it covers diverse populations? I don't think that newsrooms are ready to do the real work. It's not even always as simple as just going out and finding a bunch of reporters of color and hiring them. Because I know so many reporters of color that get hired and they are brilliant and driven and passionate. And a newsroom can be a very hostile place. Nothing will change when it comes to diversity until people are really ready to look at the roots of journalism and the way that power is given or not given in journal in, in uh, newsrooms. Because like for me, I think I talk about the beat as a teaching newsroom. Because honestly, if somebody, you know, dropped 60 million on my lap, I don't even know if I would have access to the journalists that I would want to have access to because there has not been a lane for Black journalists for so long. I know a lot of Black people who went to school for journalism and quickly got out of news and went to communications or PR because there was more money. It was just a better and just like easier way to make a living. I want to start training people to give them a place and also say, let's also examine the way that we tell stories and how can the stories that we tell be harmful or helpful to Black people. We've had a thing that I've seen lots of journalists, not just Black ones, but different journalists of different, you know, Black, Brown, Asian, talking about when they have been in newsrooms and have kind of had objections to stories or said, this is racist, this is harmful. Oh, well, that's just like bias. That's your opinion. That's not news. You know, I think there was a black, a young black journalist in Pittsburgh who lost her job with the paper there because she was saying when there were white supremacists out, you know, protesting in Pittsburgh, she was literally saying this is white supremacy. And she lost her job for that because it was biased. But it's like, that's that's what it is. I feel like I've answered this question kind of sloppily, but like there's a lot of ways basically that we need to confront race and power. Yeah, for sure. And you know, newsrooms, the idea is, oh, we hire a certain percentage of people and, you know, that makes us not racist. But, you know, we still have maybe the same editorial structure. We still have sort of the same views and prejudices about what are important news stories. I mean, just sort of a, you know, meat and potatoes type of news story. What would be like a typical story that the beat would do that, you know, maybe the sun or the banner wouldn't do. Well, right now we have in Baltimore, there are these poor children, they're called squeegee kids. So when, oh, yeah. when you're around the city, especially downtown, there are these kids that earn, you know, a couple bucks offering to clean people's windshields while they're at stoplights. What happened a few weeks ago is that these kids were out there. A man got mad because he saw them went and parked his car, crossed eight lanes of traffic, and like was headed for these kids with an aluminum bag. 
one of these kids who's the same age as my son, he's uh, 14. I think he literally turned 15 after this incident, like the weekend after, had a gun on him and shot this man and killed him. This is a tragedy from every angle. It's a tragedy that this man lost his life. This man had a family that he'll never see again. This man had kids. But also, there's no, in the reporting that I've seen from all of our outlets, there's no compassion for these kids. There's no compassion for the fact that a 14-year-old, like my son is right now upstairs in his room playing a video game. He does not have to go outside and hustle for five, 10, $15 so he can eat that day. There's no compassion for the fact that these are children. There's no compassion for like, why would a child feel like they needed to have a gun on them? There's no compassion for what would compel a grown man in his 40s to vote a bunch of young people with an aluminum bat with the intent to hurt them. And so it's like, those are the questions that I'm interested in. You know, when I was working, doing a podcast for Street Sense Media in Washington, D.C., a paper that's sold, you know, that's published and sold by homeless people, it gave me a lot of insight. You know, I'm not an expert. I'm going to say that. I don't understand every aspect of things, but I, I began to have have an understanding of, you know, there are better ways to cover homelessness than just, you know, we need to get these tents out of this park. You know, I watched a news report a couple of months after that where, you know, the neighbors around this park were complaining about the homeless people in the tents and the TV reporter talked to, you know, the mayor's office and talked to the neighbors and, you know, didn't really talk to anybody involved with helping the homeless or even going up and talking to the people who were living in tents as to why they were there and telling their stories. A lot of the stories that we end up doing, especially the, the same type of stories year in and year out, just kind of like checking boxes. That we're not really looking beyond more deeply into maybe the causes of, of things and maybe dedicating, I don't know, data reporters or beat reporters who cover, you know, who cover the homeless population or something like that and sort of shed light on that because there are so many different types of stories that aren't being told that you could say the people out there on the street, you know, they're there because of economic or mental health issues or whatever. And those become then roads to bigger stories about things that are affecting everything. Yeah. I mean, I think that our job as journalists is to be curious. So when you're saying these stories, it's my beef with a lot of crime stories. So let's talk, let's take your homeless example. So the story is that these people want the homeless moved out of their neighborhood. So your reporter's brain should say, and then what? <laughs> Move them to the next neighborhood. And then those people are mad too. So it's like, what is the end result of this? If you're talking about crime and you're saying, okay, we need to lock these people up, then what? Does that work? Does that fix crime? Can we go back and look at statistics that are available? Can we talk about what happens in prisons that maybe make the person worse off when they do get out? Like, I feel like I just wish, I wish that those questions were asked. And I think that they get asked when we have diverse people in our newsrooms, making big decisions, not just on the ground level as reporters, but as editors. And the other side of that is, you know, it takes more work. Yeah. And it really, not that, you know, I want a blanket statement that all journalists are lazy, but we're all working to write what we can on deadline. And our boss is telling us we need more, you know, stories so that we can get more page views on our website. And, you know, your priorities are kind of all over the place, but you can't dedicate you know, a few weeks or maybe even longer to dig deeply in something. I mean, some journalists are able to do that. 
and some, you know, digital outlets are able to do that. You look at some place like Politico or ProPublica, they're able to sort of dedicate funds and focus on these issues. So Baltimore Beat's going to be publishing in August. What are you hoping to do in the next few, the first few months? Survive. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to get to next week, she's saying. Yeah, it's very, I'm so glad that we're going to have papers out on newsstands, but that is a whole nother level of work that I forgot about. <laughs> when we were a for-profit paper, our publishers, you know, they just handled that. You know, we have a very small staff. We have a staff of four. And so we are not only producing content and making sure that it's quality and good and in on time but we're making sure that it goes to the printer on time and making sure that it's picked up on time and making sure that it's you know out on the street. So I really think that what we're gonna be working on, my goal for the year is to figure out how to do the things that we are supposed to do and do them well. We talk about ourselves like a food truck, like a food truck <laughs> doesn't have everything. They have like maybe 10 things and they do those 10 things well and that's it. That's why we started off bi-weekly we're not breaking news. That is not what we're going to do right now. But we can give you a thoughtful take on the news. We can give you deep dives on things that have been in the news. And that's all we're trying to do right now. <laughs> so you say you have a staff of four mm -hmm. right now. As a nonprofit, is it just the money that you, you received that's going to be financing things? Or are you going to be, are there going to be ads? Are you going to be soliciting donations? Do you have any other fundraising activities? Yes, we are soliciting donations. So you can give in, you know, five, 10, 15, $20 increments on our website. You can also give more. We are looking to folks that are funding journalism generally. We just got some money from Knight Foundation that will support our publishing platforms. And so we're looking for money that way. And then, you know, local funders here in Baltimore, and then other funders just nat nationally is what we're looking for. Oh, excellent. It sounds like you're positioning yourself to be successful. And I think it's important, the angle that you're going at it, that providing information, that thoughtful information about the population that is maybe being underrepresented in the city's, you know, media atmosphere or whatever it is, stratosphere or whatever. Anyway, environment. That's the word I was looking for. I don't take it for granted that someone gave me a million dollars. I am a <laughs> black woman of very working class means. So I know that like I have to take this money and be as you know, prudent and thoughtful with it as I can. <laughs> Who's the comedian who said that it's black women who get things done? It's, <laughs> it's what it is. Because we have no choice. <laughs> there we go. Lisa, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great catching up with you. I'm really excited to see the, the print edition of the Baltimore Beat. And welcome back. Although I guess technically maybe you didn't really go away, but this will be a good thing for Baltimore, I think. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. 
Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.